0: Do please turn to James chapter 1. So we're working our way through the letter of James, as we so often do work our way through a book of the Bible, verse by verse, bit by bit, and see what God has to uh, say to us. And we're at chapter 1, verses 13 to 18. Uh, A bit of background, James was written by the brother uh, of Jesus, and he's speaking to Christians who have been scattered all around uh, the surrounding areas of Jerusalem as a result of persecution, he's wanting to encourage them, help them to follow Jesus, know what that looks like. And last time we were doing, as in the last series we did before the sun was Romans, so we're looking at the gospel, big picture, what does it mean to have your life totally transformed by the good news of Jesus Christ? Like what, what is the good news of Jesus Christ? And James really plants it down. What, do, what are some of the nuts and bolts? What does that look like for every day for us to follow Jesus? So it's intensely practical, unbelievably challenging um, for all of us, like me, you. Like, to, to sit underneath God's word, is, uh, especially this, this book, is so challenging. But James in chapter uh, 1, verse 13 to 18, gives us... Really a picture of childbirth relating, uh, like a picture of that relating to temptation and sin. And so let me just read a few verses and then we'll have a look at it together. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away and their own evil desire, oh, sorry, by their own evil desire, and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of firstfruits of all he created. And Father, we, we ask for your help this morning that as we hear your word, as we sit underneath it, as we submit to it and to you, we ask that you change us and transform us. Lord Jesus, for those patterns of sin and temptation in our lives that have gripped us maybe for, for years, Jesus, we pray, speak to us, bring freedom, bring liberation Jesus, we ask in your name. Amen. Amen. A, a superbly rich passage for us uh, this morning to, uh, to work through. and as I say, there's this picture of childbirth. now I've been at four different births of children. one was my own okay, we've all been at our own childbirth, and the other through my children, my three uh, children and Pretty unique experience, uh, to be honest. Um, you know, you have no training really for it. It's not like you get to spend several months, you know, in the labor room uh, with other women, uh, just working out what on earth is going on. No, you just you're just straight into one of the scariest. You know, most mental situations, and you're like, I've got no idea. I'm not medically trained. I really hope this goes well. Uh, please don't call on me for any superior knowledge um, about this whole situation. Um, and yet James gives us this, this picture of childbirth because it is so rich in how it communicates about temptation and about sin. And we will um, look at this picture um, as we go through it. The passage shows us really that all are tempted, that every single one of us is tempted, that there's none of us here, whether you're a leader or not, whether you're a pastor or not, whether you have been a Christian for five minutes or a Christian seemingly all your life, we are all tempted. It says that in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. There's a saying that says, when we were saved, our baptism did not drown our flesh. Now, our flesh is the the sinful overhang of our old life. It's the temptations, the desires that we want to give ourselves to that are separate to following Jesus. And we still carry that around with us as Christians. But the thing is, we as humans, we seem to find it hard to take responsibility for the temptation that we give ourselves to, and to the sin that we give ourselves to. And you see this, like, you know, if you think back to when you were a child, um, maybe you were talking to your parents or at school, uh, the phrases that would come out of our mouths would be, I didn't do it. (laughs) It wasn't me. That was really, just sort of looking at the girls, just sort of smirking. But I mean, we can all relate to this. Like, your parents can relate to this. Um, we all fail and struggle to take responsibility. You don't understand. They did it first. That's a classic. We heard that this morning with my kids. They did it to me first, so I can do it to them This idea of blaming others is as old as humanity itself. If we go back to Genesis chapter uh, 3, Adam and Eve have been created. The world has been created. Everything is good and perfect. There is no sin in the world. Adam and Eve are told not to eat from the tree of knowledge and good good and evil, and yet they do eat. They sin. They choose not to trust God and his good ways and choose to trust their own wisdom instead. Verse 8. Oh, where is it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, verse 8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? It's not that he didn't know, but it's like, come out. Verse 10. Adam answered, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree from which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, and listen here, this is where the blame game comes in. The man said, the woman you put here with me. She gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. He blames his wife. Yeah, and he blames, I'll get to that body face, but yeah. He, <laughs> I mean, he went to bed one night, not married, didn't know what a woman was, woke up the next day and he was married to one. So you can sort of understand it, maybe his head's spinning a little bit. Um, <laughs> But it was the woman that you gave me. He's accusing God, saying, God, you made this woman. You could have made any woman, but you made this woman. He's blaming God. It's not right. He's blaming God, the woman that you gave me. Verse 13, then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The blame game continues. The woman said, the snake deceived me, and I ate. She's blaming the snake. It's blaming other people, not taking responsibility. All they needed to do was say, God, I'm, we are so sorry. We've done wrong. But they wouldn't admit it. They wouldn't take responsibility for their sin. We all do this. We blame God, we blame our circumstances, we blame our weaknesses, we blame our propensities, we blame uh, our upbringings, our circumstances, our financial situations, our families. Ultimately, we blame God, the one who made everything and all of those things. And yet, our willingness to accept fault is a key test of the genuineness of our faith. Because it shows and communicates whether we've understood who God is and who we are and understand his grace as a gift to us. Last week, Steve was looking at trials and, and tribulations and how every time you have a trial in life, you, we all have a decision to make. A decision to either be obedient to Christ in it and choose growth in Christ and fullness of life in Christ, or we have a decision that we make to disobey, to disobey Christ, to not trust him, to not press into him. And we lose relationship with Christ as a result of that. So James gives us a few things that help us to understand temptation and help us to understand what it looks like to follow Jesus faithfully, and most of all, to find freedom, that we are not victims of the temptations that come our way, but through Jesus Christ, through the cross, his death, his burial, his resurrection, he's alive today, us in him can find freedom from our sin, any sin, any temptation. He always provides a way out. And I trust that as we go through this, that you will sense God speaking to you, encouraging you, empowering you, and giving you his grace to do that. So verse 13, the nature of evil. The first thing we see is that the problem is not with God. So when tempted, no one should say that God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. God is not the one who tempts you. If you experience temptation, which we all do on a daily basis, whatever that might be to food, uh, to sex, to uh, lying, to uh, shirking responsibility, whatever the temptation might be, God is not the one who tempts us. In Leviticus chapter 19, verse 2. God says to Moses, be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. This is God declaring who he is. He is holy. And to be holy means to be set apart. We are not holy. God is not like us. He is set apart. He is holy and perfect. There is no comparison. He's perfect. In 1 Peter 1.16, it's written, Be holy because I am holy. That's quoting back to Leviticus. It's this ongoing sense of God revealing himself as a holy and perfect God. I don't know if you uh, sort of think back to the... Um, Maybe you've seen those Greek gods, you know, maybe pictures of Greek gods, or maybe you've seen them somewhere, and so often, more often than not, they are partaking in sin, and they are tempting others to sin as well. The reality is that they are made in the image of man, because man has created them. So they can't, like a river can never go above its source, Do you get that, like in height wise. These gods, they could never go above the height of the men and women who created them. God is uncreated, absolutely holy in a league of his own. God cannot be tempted, and he does not tempt others. We see throughout the Bible that Satan tempts, the accuser. See that with Adam and Eve, the serpent. In the Garden of Eden, we see that uh, with Job, where Satan says to God, can I please bring this trial into his life? He will turn away from you if I can have my way with him. And yet Job remains faithful in the end. So the problem is not with God. Verse 14, we see about the nature of man and that the problem is in us. Verse 14, each person is tempted when they are dragged away. These are two great ideas. Dragged away is one by their own evil desires and enticed. These, um, these two terms, dragged away and enticed, they are to do with uh, bait. And dragged away would be a hunting term. You would basically place a trap with some bait in the middle of the trap for an animal to come into the trap, grab the bait, and then the trap captures the animal. You know, I'm sure you've all seen it in films or telly or read it in books you know that sort of thing if not done it yourself um i haven't um but this there's this idea of bait so to the animal the bait looks really really good a bit of meat maybe something maybe they're hungry or maybe they've never eaten something so good or they haven't eaten in a while some animals go days don't they or weeks without eating the bait looks good. They want the bait. They must have the bait. They'll do anything to have the bait, to get the bait. It doesn't matter what cost. They're not thinking about other things. They're not thinking about, oh, maybe actually I saw one of my friends get taken by one of these traps. I'm going to, gonna you know, pass by on this bait. They're not thinking. They're just solely focused on the bait, okay? And that's so true of temptation, it's so true of the way that we get drawn in. Our focus is on the bait, on being tempted. The second one is enticed, and that would be a fishing, you know, it's, it's uh, hunting again, but fishing, bait on the end of, uh, of a line, a rod, to capture or, ki- or catch the fish with bait. We see that in 2 Peter as well. Um, where is it? 2 Peter 2.18. They entice people, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. This, this deal of enticing people with bait. So who baits? Well, who puts the bait on? Because I think, you know, in this we're sort of, we, we can pin the blame on other people, we can pin the blame on our circumstances, We can think, okay, well, how do I understand this deal? Why is the bait there? Well, you know, like I say, Satan puts the bait there. Man, woman puts the bait there. We only need to look at the world around us to think, man, this—the world we live in—is so messed up. The things that every day, all around the world, are done to tempt men and women into sinning is unbelievable. It's been said that the problem is not the tempter without, but the traitor within. That the temptation, they're giving into the temptation comes from within us. That the bait is there, but the traitor is in us. Everything looks so good to us, promises so much. Whether that be financially or relationally or to do with sex, the bait looks so good. Good. Promises so much and yet all goes wrong so quickly. So, the nature of evil, well, the problem is not with God. The nature of man, the problem is in us. Thirdly, the nature of sin, verse 15. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth. To death. This is quite a hard-hitting analogy, especially so often when childbirth is obviously a wonderful, wonderful thing, and a joyous thing so often. Yeah, this is quite a graphic image that James gives us. After desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Going to give you four Ds just to try and help us understand what happens when we are tempted, and we see it um, here as well. The first is desire. The second is deception. The third is design, and the fourth is disobedience. So desire. You can think of emotion when you think of of desire. Okay, and hopefully we're all just sort of probably thinking of our lives and maybe situations and circumstances in our own lives where we're like, yeah, I can just see this happening, like in my life. I'm sure none of us are immune uh, to this. And I will just encourage us to maybe think of, of maybe one or two situational circumstances in our lives, maybe where we just might be repeatedly giving in to temptation. Because the more we can understand about what the enemy does, but also what we, the part that we play in it, the better equipped we are to find the way out that God has for us so desire emotion this is the feeling of wanting something you see something and you want it okay now we have a whole host of different apps and websites that deliver and serve up on a plate all of the different desires that we might want to entertain. So a few uh, for me that I, you know, and probably for you, but right move. Okay, who's got the Right Move app on their phone? Just one, okay. two. Just, you know, it's no judgment. I, I, you know, look at it as well. Um, you, you look and you just like actually that house looks quite nice. You know, we, we might just do this driving around. Let's take it away from the Right Move thing. <laughs> we might just do it driving around. We might think, oh, that house looks nice. Oh, I bet that house doesn't have the problems that my house has. Oh, that house is bigger. Oh, that would be, yeah, I'd have a better life if I lived in that house. Another app, AutoTrader. Or oh, it's a uh, look anywhere. I know certain people love cars, but just that, that sense of, yeah, just flicking through. Oh, that car looks nice. Oh, that would be a bit quicker. Oh, that would look better on the road. That emotion is drawn in. Pinterest. Yeah? I mean, that basically brings everything together in one app. (laughs) Just, you can scroll through and just be like, oh, that looks nice. Oh, I'd love that. Oh, I need that. Point that the mind goes, oh, I need that. You know it's trouble. (laughs) We'll get to the mind in a minute. But desire. So desire is the start. Then there's deception. Something happens in the mind where we then justify the feeling. That's the point where we go, I need that. I want that. I must have it. And you rationalize the desire. You think, "Ah, oh, I've had a hard week. I deserve that. I've worked hard this year. You know that. I need that. Or life's been rough to me. I'm going to have that. The mind gets involved, starts to rationalize and justify the emotions that we're feeling. Thirdly, the design. The will starts to then get involved. And it starts to... Um, uh, yeah, the desire is conceived, will is active, and it starts to form a design. Your, your will starts to go, yeah, actually, we could make this happen. Like... <laughs> Uh, I mean, this all happens inside of our hearts every time we're we're tempted. This this sequence of events, we think, actually, I could, yeah, actually, I've I've got the money to do that. Or I could actually make that happen without that person knowing. The will starts to get involved. The design starts to take place. And finally, disobedience. This is actually the behavior, the act occurs. The desire conceives and brings forth sin. The actual act happens. But actually sin, it started way back. It didn't just start with the sin, like the act of the sin. It started way back in our desires, in our hearts. We believe the lie that something good and something satisfying, like that, that, uh, that bait, we think, oh, that's going to do me good. We believe the lie that it will. Tasty fruit that goes rotten in the mouth. But sin begins with desire. It leads to deception and then design and disobedience. It goes from emotion to the mind, to the will, and then to the act, the behavior. So to think practically, where do we stop sin in its tracks? At the start, at the point of desire, so often we go after the, po- the, the point of sin, and we think if I could just stop doing that thing, if I could just stop giving into that thing, if I deal with the moment, then I'll, I'll have this sorted. It's far too late at that point. There's too much going on in our will, in our minds and our heart to stop it at that point most of the time. We need to stop it much further back. Everything in our society will work hard to play on our emotions. You know, you just look at car adverts, for example, and by the end of the advert, you've got absolutely no idea about any of the features of the car. They've sold you a lifestyle. An easy life. Get that, you know... more often than not, get that girl that you want. They're selling a lifestyle. More often than not now, it's, oh, you can save the planet. If you buy our car, save the planet. I mean, you might be doing some good to the planet, but they're selling a lifestyle, maybe wanting to help you feel not as bad as you might feel otherwise. So I want to just give a pastoral encouragement. Be careful what you let sway your emotions. Be careful what you let yourself be exposed to. It might be certain types of music. It might be certain types of websites or apps. It might be with certain types of friends. Be careful what you expose your emotions to, because that's the first Place where sin starts to be born. On a positive note, we can actually feed our emotions positively. We can spend time finding our emotions and the the enjoyment of our emotions in God and in good things, primarily in first and foremost in God. We spend a lot of time in our week just listening, like at home and in the car, to Premier Praise. Okay, at times it's pretty cheesy. There's, uh, you know, I don't know whether you'd like the DJs or not, but just trying to feed our our hearts and our kids' hearts with good truth. Okay, we could have Radio One or Radio Two or whatever on the whole time, but we just know what day after day that would feed. Our hearts and the kids' hearts with things that are not of God. It's not that they're wrong. Like, don't, don't feel any sense of judgment over that. But it's just a sense of how can we feed our hearts in God. Worship music is one of them. Now, if our, we find our emotions are getting drawn into something... The next stage is the mind, and the Bible has a lot to say about the mind. And actually, that's a great place where we can stop sin in its tracks and temptation in its tracks as well. We're told to guard the mind. In 2 Corinthians 10, we're told to bring every thought that comes into our mind into captivity to Christ. So binding it up, giving it no room to move, you're not welcome here. Take it all captive. Every thought that is opposed to Christ and living for him, loving him and loving others, take it captive. Feed on the Bible. Think of your brain as a field and make it deeply plowed with the word of God. When a field is plowed and you see the the ridges, don't you? The the burrows, the thorough... furrows, furrows, um, they're deeply plowed, aren't they? Make your brain deeply furrowed with the word of God. Get those seeds in there deep. Make sure the soil is good. Feed on God's word, feed on it daily. Open God's word, feed on it. If you don't feed on this, the word of life, you'll feed on other things. So whatever outcome you want in life, choose one of those two options. I would suggest you choose the word alive. (laughs) It's in the title. Uh, If you want life in all of its fullness, that comes through Jesus Christ. The truth is that I think a fat fish takes no bait. But there could be a greedy fish, I guess. But if they're well fed, they're not taking the bait. Be well fed in Christ. The last thing To say, then, is the nature of God. We see that in verse 17. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. So we can also fill up and enjoy ourselves in God by enjoying the gift giver and the gifts. So, there are good things of uh, food and sleep and a roof over our head and sex and relationships and friendships. Good, good things from the good gift giver. He's the father of lights. And every one of these perfect gifts is given to us from him. Ultimately, we have the gift of the cross. These good gifts, I think the reason that James talks about this here is, that, is to encourage us to not go after baited hooks. To enjoy the good gifts that God has given us and not to go after other things. Adam and Eve had a whole garden of good things, good trees. They could eat from the tree of life all day, every day, as much as they wanted They would have life bubbling over, overflowing, fullness of life, and yet they chose something that wasn't for them. God encourages us to dwell on him, to enjoy the gifts that he has given us, always to let it overflow in worship and roll up in worship to Christ, the one who gives us those things. It centers on the cross. The greatest gift that God has ever given us is his Son, The most costly gift, Jesus Christ, born as a baby, grew up, lived his life perfectly, never gave in to temptation. The bait was there all around, never gave in, always trusting the Father. He always wanted what the Father had for him, the good gifts that he gave him. Jesus on the cross takes our sin. He takes our, he, take, he has taken every single time that we have given in to temptation and sin. Took that on the cross. So if you're feeling condemned right now, God says, I took it on the cross. There's no shame, no guilt. I give you my perfect, loving record. So when I look at you, I see Jesus. You are in me. I love you. I've adopted you. And through that, I've given you a new heart. This is what salvation looks like. A new heart with new desires. We've talked a lot about desire. God gives us a new heart with new desires. We still have the overhang of the flesh tempting us away, But we also have a new heart with new desires. And we can stimulate those desires. We can feed those desires. So they become greater and greater, more centered on Jesus with every passing day. Joe and Claire, if we could move into worship. If we could stand together. We've sung already about God being a good, good father. We've sung about him being holy. We're going to sing about uh, God essentially being the fount of every blessing. So if you think of the, you know, fountains, they have a source, they're overflowing, bubbling over. God is the fount of every blessing. He is good and he calls us, he draws us today to him. That no matter what we feel life has been like so far, no matter what our morning has been or our week has been, no matter the number of times that we've given in to sin, Jesus says, come. Come to me. Repent. Turn away from your sin and find life in me. You can follow me. I'll always give you a way out. If you choose that, it's there. Follow me me he's good I just want to encourage us to come to him as we worship we're going to take communion now and we're going to sing in response if you're a follower of Jesus please take the communion maybe take it on your own if you want to respond with Jesus personally or take it with others if you want to pray uh, with one another or stand with one another and encourage uh, one another but I'm just going to pray and then just want to encourage you to come before God it's between you and him He's got life for you, and he wants to draw you into it. Jesus, we thank you so much for your truth, that even though sometimes it's really hard to hear, sometimes we don't want to know. You know, When we go to the doctors, we just don't want to know the bad news. Yet, Lord, we trust, Lord, that when you give us the bad news, you also give us the solution. You give us a way through. You give healing. And life in all of its fullness. And Jesus, we want that. We want you. We want to walk with you. We want to commune with you, spend time with you. We want to talk with you. You're our best friend. We want to sit with you. We want to make it our life, life's effort to please you and to enjoy you. Jesus, so I pray for your help for us today. I pray where you've brought conviction into our hearts. I pray there would be a a decision made to repent and to follow you. And Lord, I pray for your grace, your unending grace to be lavished upon us, that daily we might choose you, that we might choose to drink from the fountain of life that will last forevermore.